Jim Paris of ChristianMoney.com is with us to talk about a gig that may just boost your finances. Join the conversation anytime by calling or texting 800-555-7898. All right, all about gigs that boost the finances here. So if Jim's got ideas, I want to find out what these those are. Again, uh, he is the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com. And Jim, glad you're joining us this morning. You said uh, there's a gig out there. There's a thing we can do if you like to travel and maybe make a little extra money. Well, I love to travel, and if I can make some money doing that, what do I need to do? Well, I'm not sure that Jim can actually hear us this oh, morning. Okay, now I can hear you. Now I you got, got you. us. All right, all right. All right, so, very good. A question, a big question this morning is, yeah, if, if we can travel and make a little extra money, I'm in. What do I need yeah, to do right. to travel so and make actually, some coin, man? I, I'm actually going to do this, and I'm going to make a video. I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to be like that guy Mike Rowe where you you know he goes out and does all these different jobs. So I'm actually going to do this gig because I think this sounds really, really cool. And this is called drive-away driving. So you become a drive-away driver. And what it is, it's like um, one time I moved from Orlando to Dallas, okay? And I was in Dallas for five years. But I had this really cool Dodge Stealth sports car that I needed to get from Orlando to Dallas. So what happened was I paid like a thousand bucks, probably be 2000 right now. And they put it up on this big trailer and then they moved my car to Dallas. Then I went to a place and I picked up my car. Well, there was a little bit of damage done to my car when it got put on that big trailer thingy. And uh, people are afraid of that. They don't want their cars on those. So they pay people to drive their car, to like reposition their car. So let's say you live in Miami, but you're moving to Jacksonville and you want that car to be driven. People will pay you to do that. Um, and it, these are through, it's through companies. It, it's kind of like a close cousin to Uber and Lyft and all that, but it's for the long distance driving. So, you know, you might get in a car in Orlando that has to be delivered to Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, you're on the road all day and you're getting paid for it. And it's kind of fun. I, I, I like road trips. Yep, yep. I like to listen to a lot of radio, get my cup of coffee and uh, enjoy that. So, um, yeah, so this is kind of a different type of gig where you're driving. And I think it's pretty neat. Start early and you can stream Don and Steve in the morning. Huh? That's that'll be pretty good. Hey, so That's right. what about the coin? As Steve said, how much money can you really make? Okay, so this is like my big question about it. It's like, okay, this sounds really cool, but how much money do I make? So we know that they're going to pay for the gas and all of that. They're also going to give you uh, a, a way to get home. So whenever you get to the final destination, you're going to get that plane ticket back you know, to the starting point, all that's covered. And then it just depends on the company. And apparently the, how this works, it's kind of like a reverse auction, similar to Uber. Like you log into the app, you pick what you want and, and it shows you how much it'll pay. Um, so I have heard uh, and read a lot of articles saying like, for one delivery, you can get anywhere from 500 to a thousand bucks for doing that. Um, so uh, you know, it might take you a couple of days, maybe three days, you know, to do it. And out of that money, you know, there's a little bit of expenses you're probably going to have from being away from home. Um, but if you did like, you know, just one or two of these a week, it almost could be like a full-time thing. But uh, every one of these companies kind of has a different deal of how they pay you. Uh, so it's kind of all over the map. But it, it sounds like, you know, you make hundreds of bucks for each one of these you do. I'm kind of intrigued by this whole thing. I would assume you're doing this as a contractor, so you got to be responsible for your own taxes and all that kind of stuff. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, you're an independent contractor. And so some of the qualifications are, so some of the companies, you only have to be 21. Some of them, you have to be 25. That's kind of that like insurance thing where yep. sometimes people younger than 25 can't rent a car. So you got to have insurance. Okay. They give you that extra insurance though. That covers you for this kind of driving, which is like more of a commercial application. So you might have to be 25, but maybe only 21, depending on the company, you've got to have a driver's license, of course, and you have to have a good driving record. And uh, otherwise, like there's no special license required. Required because you're not driving a big rig or anything like that. You're just driving a regular vehicle. One of the little side opportunities in this is RVs, hmm. which I thought would be really cool. Like they're apparently the capital of where RVs are made is like in Indiana. So you could be flown to Indiana and have to deliver an RV to like Portland, Oregon. And you're driving this like brand new RV across the country uh, getting paid for it. So that would be kind of cool as well. So there's different kind of, you know, paths to go down within this opportunity. Now, I know that you need a license and you need a good driving record, but I'm sure there are some cautions we need to know about. Yeah. So what we're what we're told in, in, in a lot of the articles that I've read about this is that, you know, every one of these companies is, is different. You want to read reviews on these companies, maybe even sign up for more than one and also understand what expenses you're going to be responsible for. So you might have one deal where, hey, you got to get your plane ticket back. That's out of your share of the money. You don't get any money for food or expenses. That's got to come out of your share of the money. So just be careful when you're figuring out you know, how much you're going to make um, in factoring in like what each company's particular deal is. So I'm thinking if somebody maybe is looking for some uh, side gigs, maybe they're unemployed right now, maybe somebody's a retiree, I'm like, this would be a great way to go, go see the country. Jim, where can I find out more? Yeah, so we've got a big article at christianmoney.com. But one of the other things you can do is just type in this, these two words, drive away, and that's one word, drive away, and then driver. Put that into Google, and you'll see all these different ones that come up. And, and one last warning, guys, don't pay anybody to do this. So there's like some of these sites where it's like, if you pay us, we'll sell you a book on how to do this, or we'll let you be one of our drivers if you give us 100 bucks. If it's a legit company, they're not going to ask you for money. They're going to be paying you money. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good word because those shysters are making more than we would be if we're doing this gig economy. ChristianBuddy.com, Jim Paris with us. Another idea on how to make additional income to support our families and to steward well for the kingdom. Thank you so much, Jim. It is Don and Steve in the morning. Yes, do that today so you don't miss any of the conversations or music, all that's happening at Don and Steve in the morning. David Bonson is joining us to talk about how we view what we do. And David, I know this is something that I can tell it is built in your DNA. God has created you with a drive and a message. So let's start with the message. So the book, Full-Time Work in the Meaning of Life, is basically my claim that God made us to work. And I'm very passionate about my marriage, very passionate about my children. I've been very connected in different church ministries my whole life. Um, all those things are very important. And all of us are integrated, embodied human beings. God made us in the physical universe to be in relationship to one another, to do things. And I think work is the one thing that gets 
the short stick in the church these days. Work is the thing that we have decided is just transactional. We do it to make a living. We do it to support our church. Uh, maybe we like the job. A lot of people maybe don't. But I don't think we realize that it has true existential meaning in terms of what God made us to do from the very Garden of Eden. And so a lot of us may think of work as one of those things that God said, okay, because you have sinned, you now have to work and you mm -hmm. have to work hard in order to sustain. But I hear you saying like, no, let's back it up. And work was part of the picture even before that. It most certainly was. There's only two things I'm confident existed before sin entered the world, and that is family and work. Uh, a lot of things were introduced after sin, but um, I believe that work uh, had a curse associated with it because of sin, where there'd be the toil and the drudgery, the snares in the field and things. But you know what else was cursed was uh, the pains of childbirth. Mm -hmm. But nobody says children are a curse. So there is a pain that comes with childbirth that was one of the curses, but children and family were a blessing before sin. Very identical is the issue with work. The curse was not work. The curse was some of the pain and struggles that would come with it, some of that stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. But work itself was what God made us to do, to cultivate the garden, to have dominion over the entire earth. That was all before sin. David, I hear you say that, and I realize that there is identity sometimes wrapped up in our work, and other times it is just the means to an end. How do we kind of bridge that gap for someone who says, yeah, I get it, that I am what I do, and others are like, eh, I don't even care. So it's a very difficult question to answer because there's sort of a macro, like a big picture that I think is universal, applies to all people. One of the things I care very deeply about a free enterprise system, I think we need a free society and in a market economy, we enhance our chances of being able to do work that we love. There's a greater division of labor, a greater specialization that people can chase things to allow themselves to marry their passions to their skills. And in a, a less free society, you have less options to do that. So I want to hold on to that big picture, but then recognize that on a micro level, person by person, Everybody's situation is different. One person might have a job that they hate right now, but they're in the midst of studying, trying to get through school for a different job they want later. You know, I live in Manhattan, the cliche about uh, uh, aspiring Broadway actress, but in the meantime, she's waiting tables at a diner. Um, you don't really hate working at the diner when it's towards the goal of being in the theater and so forth. So I want to always maintain the big picture. But to your point, are there people that are in jobs they really just genuinely don't like? There are. My question is, do they not like them because they haven't been told and haven't fully absorbed the biblical message of what work is? Um, I think that that's very possible, that a lot of people need to see that they are serving mankind in their work that nobody will pay you to do something if you're not producing goods and services that meet the needs of humanity. That is what God made us to do. And I fully recognize some people are going to like certain parts of this journey more than others. I'm trying to bring more along with me on the ride of loving what we do for a living. Hmm. So for the person who says, I, David, I don't like what I'm doing for a living. In fact, right now, I hear you say that work is something that God gave us before the fall but man, I, that while I may understand that conceptually, I may even grasp the theology or the doctrine of that in yeah. some way, that's not my felt experience. Yeah. I don't like what I'm doing. So how can I begin to rethink or reframe 
my thinking as it relates to the work that I have to do? Well, there is um, two things. The first is starting with as much as possible a spirit of contentment, pe- pe- getting to a place in which um, let's get let's be content with where we are and then look at what we don't like about it and start a plan, start taking steps for where we can get to a different place. Um, a lot of times people are limited by decisions they made earlier in life. And sometimes they were bad decisions. And so you have to deal within the reality of what options you have, but then map out a path. Is it um, that you like the company you're at, but don't like the job you have? Start thinking how you can find that advancement, things like that. But again, case by case, another keyword, dynamism. Be willing to move around, be flexible. Well, there's a lot more to this conversation that we're going to continue to have throughout this hour. And maybe you've got a question or comment, feel free to text in this morning, 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. As we continue talking with author of full-time work in the meaning of life, David Bonson. That's coming up throughout the hour here on Moody Radio. And we are talking with David Bonson, author of full-time work in the meaning of life this morning. And David, You uh, said something just a few minutes ago that I think is worth circling back to and picking up on, and that is uh, really cultivating contentment and learning to be content with the work that God has given us. When a lot of us, we are thinking, I am working just to earn a paycheck so I can pay my mortgage and feed my kids and do those types of things. And uh, you also talked about the fact of not only cultivating contentment, but learning to view work as a way to serve others. Now, I'm often, and I'm going to guess that a lot of us have been viewing work as a way to serve myself, as a way to serve my family, as a way to uh, serve all those people who are sending me bills each and every month. How, how can we begin to think more biblically uh, and, and learn to cultivate that contentment and that attitude of serving? Well, what I'm about to say isn't a sound like uh, economic answer, but it is a biblically economic answer. The people sending you bills, by the way, are billing you for things that they're providing you, right? There's services and goods that you're paying them for, and they're doing work and you're paying for it. And you're paying for it with money that you get from the work you're doing, which you're only getting paid for it because you're providing a service to others. And we rinse and repeat throughout the whole economy. This is what's happening. Now, there was a time in which we could have our needs met because we went out and we hunted ourselves. Now we're able to eat because other people hunted. And they did so not to be nice to us, but they were providing for their needs by providing for our needs. This is a miracle of a market economy, and it is all out of the Garden of Eden. It is all out of a free society because God made us very good. He made all of creation good, but he made mankind very good. And what does that mean? Why are we elevated? What is the one thing we have the animal kingdom does not have? The reason and moral faculties necessary as image bearers of God to work. What animals do is just pure raw instinct. What we do is create. Mm-hmm. We have ideas, we innovate, we produce because God does. No, oh, so if God is working that in us, giving us those abilities, I still want to come back to that contentment piece in no. serving others because I believe that's where we might have started going awry. How do we get back to that? I hear you say what it is. How do we get back to it? You know, I don't know that I think it's very different from any other part of our Christian life. I absolutely love my wife and I love being married, but there are times in which it has been necessary to be content in where things are as a means to them getting better, 
that there are moments <clears throat> in a relationship in which you have to really focus on the good things and allow that to cultivate better things. And I think the way we view our jobs is identical. That uh, And Paul talked about this in, in the New Testament many times. Learning to be content with some things enables us to really feel the full blessing later. Do you think, David, that learning our job and giving our all as opposed to cutting corners. Like I had a, I had a manager one time and she trained me in the way to serve these tables. And she caught me one time, not putting a doily on a plate and I was serving tea. And she said, you're cutting corners. Mm -hmm. We don't want to cut corners because it's to serve the customer. And now I feel like we're just survival. It's survival of the fittest in the work environment. And that's not giving our best to the Lord, is it? It is not. And so I think, and I'll do it real quickly. There's three things with that doily on the plate that matter to God. You, he wants the best for you because he made you in his image and you can do better than cutting corners. The person you're serving, the object of the work, because he cares about them and they want the full experience. And then here's the other piece. He cares about the doily. He cares about the beauty or the process or the service. You know, I mean, that example is obviously kind of a smaller illustration but the point is he cares about the worker the person being worked for and the work itself Mm. and so i've heard uh, a pastor say before that as we look at work that work that we do ought we ought to be able to find in some way something that reflects the character of god you just talked about the fact that the doily is something that you know maybe is bringing beauty or maybe someone who you know is is cooking they're providing uh, for their family in the way that God provides. If we're kind of struggling to find purpose and meaning in our work, uh, how would you encourage us to maybe beyond contentment, but say, you know, I could contentedly do this job for the rest of my life if I really had to, but I'm, I'm lacking purpose. I'm lacking meaning. I hear other people talk about passion. Mm-hmm. I hear them talk about, I can't wait to get to the office in the morning or, or you know, get to the shop because I love what I do. If I don't have that, am I in the wrong job or is there something else going on? Um, I think it's very possible someone could be in the wrong job. But what uh, I really like the idea of people doing is starting with what they're good at. That find the things that you are skilled at and then from there allowing a passion to unfold. I think most often in a market economy, our passions and skills can end up being married together. But um, those people that do go to work say, I'm just not excited about it. There's a lot of best practices of what they ought to do. And we've been talking about contentment. It starts there, really pursuing what one is good at, and and then developing a system. Because I think what what she said is so important. You can't just look to uh, survive. How can you pour yourselves into the doilies? How can you pour yourself into the extra things? It's infectious. It won't just make your boss happier. It won't just make your customers happier. It gives you a greater sense of fulfillment when you know you're going the extra step. And I think there's something about that that really does become contagious. And that's where I think we may have lost that along the way. You know, whatever you do, work with all of your heart as unto the Lord and not for man. And that perspective of scripture is kind of lost on us. If we're not speaking that truth over our lives, and I know you open the book with Romans 12 verses one and two, so that our minds are renewed and we're giving as unto the Lord. We're going to continue this conversation. Maybe you have a question for David Bond. As we talk about full-time work and the meaning of life, you know you can get that in, 800-555-7898. It is Don and Steve in the morning.
talking about work today and how we are full-time. It's the meaning of life and how the Lord gave us work to do even before the fall. And yet, has is that our perspective, really? David Bonson is challenging us if it's not. And we want to talk about that work-life balance here in just a moment. But first, Jimena, thank you for your question. This trend of quiet quitting. David, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's uh, cute that people came up with a term of quiet <laughs> yeah. quitting for what we used to just call stealing from your employer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if one reads what Paul talked about and the way one is to work and, and even throughout the book of Proverbs, there's no question that quiet quitting is unbiblical. It's basically giving the minimum amount of work to sort of check the boxes, but not really do the job, not actually commit to what the expectation is. And it's a luxury people have. Post-COVID, there was a shortage of laborers, and people knew that they were not likely to get fired, and so they could just sort of check out without actually leaving, still get paid to not really do the full job. And I think it's theft. I do. Um, Now, economically, I don't think it'll last. You know, the leverage goes back to employers versus employees real quickly in our economy. But uh, that period of time, which employees felt they had the leverage to do this quiet quitting, um, I think it is anti-biblical. Mm. Well, I appreciate you just being so direct and clear yeah. about that, uh, David. One of the things that we hear a lot about is work-life balance. And companies will maybe even use that phrase and, and trying to recruit you know, top employees to, to join their company. Oh, we've got great work-life balance here. I know that's a, a phrase that you really kind of cringe at. How come? Well, there is a sort of personal level. For one thing, I think about what my grandparents would think if they heard the expression, and that makes me cringe. But theologically, it makes me cringe. Because what does it mean to balance uh, with your life something that is a key and necessary and valuable component of your life? So I just always ask people, do you go home and say to your spouse, hey, give me a little break here. I'm working on some marriage life balance right now. How, how do you think that would go over? <laughs> Marriage is a key and integral part of our life, and so is work. I don't need to balance work with my life. I integrate work into my life. Now, what is the biblical model? I don't have to make up my own cute expression. God said, work, rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. It's how he made the world. It's what he asked us to do. And he connected the dots for us. He told us the reason he's asking us to do it is because he did it. It's provided for us in the very creation account. So I believe in a work-rest paradigm. But a work-life balance implies that work is something outside of our life instead of something to be integrated in our life, like our marriage, our kids, our church. Etc. David, I think often we're looking at work-life balance and how much can we play? How of much course. can we vacation? Yeah. How much can we afford or sometimes not afford? But we don't want to work necessarily. We just want to play. Have we gotten this out of balance? Is it an idol? I mean, what do we see? This is in the context of believers. Well, it is definitely something that's gotten out of control. And I want to blame two age groups. The, the age group that's really run with this work-life balance stuff is millennials. And there's a lot of cliches and people love to pick on on Gen Y, millennials. But, you know, the baby boomers who were the most productive generation in history, they were the ones that came up with this idea of retirement as a 30-year vacation to end your life. And I think it's been unfair to millennials for them to get the message from boomers who did work hard that the reason you work is to not have to do it anymore. 
And then we expect millennials to get up and go to work and work hard when they've been told, well, how important is it really if the whole reason I'm doing it is so I can check out at age 60 and get to the golf course and get to the sailboat and all that. I'm for golfing. I'm for sailing. Um, There's a space in our lives for leisure recreation. But the idea of someone in their 30s asking for work-life balance to get to yoga class at 4 o'clock, I just think it's totally wrong. Mm. Well, there's so much more to this conversation that unfortunately we uh, do not have time for. So you can uh, pick up David's book. It is called Full-Time Work in the Meaning of Life, written by David Bonson. We're going to connect you through our Facebook page. Just look for Don and Steve in the Morning on Facebook, and you'll find the link right there. Hopefully, you'll be able to sing along as you think about work with house fires and say, I thank God. Actually, thank him for the work that he's given you to do today. This is Moody Radio.